This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seibin, and it's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. And we've got a couple of things to talk about today. Less than usual, but I think these are weightier topics uh, the first is EU's Article 13, that's the European Union, uh, what it means for content creators, for the platforms we reside on, and the gatekeepers who are struggling to get control of the media again. We'll look at that topic in a minute. Apple's October announcements, they had three big product releases, two of which we'll be getting here in the studio later in the week, so we'll be covering that shortly. Uh, the Fire TV Stick, the 4K version we reviewed, has a new remote that I didn't go into detail on. There are some features on here that I missed that I wanted to follow up on, so we'll talk about that in a minute. And we'll also look at the YouTube Premiere system and the wrap-up and why I'm using it and why I like it and why I might continue doing it. And I know some of you may not like that, but we're going to talk about uh, what I've seen so far doing the premieres now on two weeks of wrap-up videos. So lots to talk about now, so let's get to it. And just a reminder that in the United States, tomorrow, Tuesday, November 6th, is election day. So get out and vote. It's important to do so. In my state, we don't have early voting, but I know a lot of you do have it now and probably have already voted. But if you haven't voted yet, uh, get out and vote. You got some time to do some research. And as you'll see in a few minutes from what's going on in the European Union, who you elect makes a difference in how your media might be consumed. And if you've got people in your area that are not friendly to independent media. You might want to think about voting for their opponent. Uh, most polls in the United States stay open until about 7 or 8 p.m., so you've got some time to uh, go and do some research if you haven't already, but definitely get out and vote. I also want to thank our newest members here on the channel. Uh, Rockstar Brisky gave a Super Chat contribution during last week's weekly wrap-up premiere, so I want to thank him for that. And we also have Lee Se-Yang, who contributed via the Patreon page. So I want to thank both of them for their contribution to the channel, along with everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis, along with everyone who watches on an ongoing basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. Now, this week's wrap-up is being brought to you by my favorite media application, Plex, uh, which we have talked about extensively here on the channel. Plex is a media serving application that you can install on your computer or like me on a network attached storage device. It can manage all of the media that you have under your control, music, photos, TV shows, movies. You can watch them on any device that you own, whether you're home or not. Plex can transcode video to make it smaller so you can watch it on your mobile phone when you're out and about, for example. And they have a feature called Plex Pass that adds some more things to the mix. You get a lot of functionality out of Plex without having to pay for it. But if you do jump into that Plex Pass, you have a few other things like the DVR, so you can record and watch live television wherever you are. Uh, You can sync up your media for offline viewing. You get free Plex apps on every platform, parental restrictions, which has been useful for me with my kids so they don't stumble across movies I don't want them to watch. 
Uh, you can go and search for subtitles now and easily integrate them into your uh, existing media library. You get early access to new features and a lot of other stuff. You can get more information at the links you see on screen. And if you have a Plex Pass already, you can gift it to someone else. I want to thank Plex for their ongoing support of the channel. They've been supporting us for almost two years now, and it's a great media application that I use every single day. Let's take a look now at the week in review. I didn't get as much done as I wanted to, but we did get a couple of things up that have been doing quite well. Uh, the first is the unboxing we did of the Amazon Fire TV Stick 4K on the Extras channel. I was in my kitchen because they were doing some work on the house as well. It's been a crazy week. I'm getting a generator put in so that if we lose power here, which has been happening way too often, I can keep operating. And the electricians were running some stuff, so uh, that was throwing me off and we had to use the kitchen. So we'll be back in the usual spot for unboxings this week. On the main channel, we had the review of the Amazon Fire TV Stick 4K. That one's doing really well. It's one of the best videos I've uploaded from a viewership perspective in probably the last two months or so. Uh, we also took a look at the Plex podcast feature. Uh, this is a, a podcast application that's built into Plex. It's gotten better because now it'll allow you to download your podcast for offline listening. And this is a free feature, so you don't have to have a Plex pass for it either. So if you like podcasts and you're using Plex, it's a great way to integrate uh, another medium into your Plex server library. It's really good stuff. And in fact, that Plex podcast doesn't require a server either. So you could even use it without a Plex server. Uh, the last item there is the DIY portable NVMe SSD drive. Uh, we had reviewed that Samsung portable SSD the other day. It was about $400, though, Thunderbolt 3. Uh, very, very fast, but again, expensive. And I wanted to see if we could maybe find a way to make our own for less. So I couldn't find a Thunderbolt enclosure, but I did find a small uh, USB 3.1 Gen 2 enclosure that actually worked out pretty nicely and you could build yourself a slightly slower version of that Samsung drive for about 200 bucks. Uh, there are some issues to think about with heat, so I think if you are looking at one of these NVMe drives, uh, find one that has some thermal management built in in case it gets too hot. But in my testing with the Corsair drive I was using, uh, it's been working fine. I'm doing a few video edits and stuff on it as well, and it's just been perfect. So not a bad way to get a very fast solid-state drive for a little bit of money. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind, and this is week 89 of me doing this as a full-time occupation. And this week, uh, I am occupied with Article 13 that is working its way through the European Union Parliament. Now, of course, we just got done with the GDPR, which was Europe's privacy regulations. And as we saw with all the notifications and emails you were getting, even outside the EU, that policy not only impacted what happens inside of Europe, but it happens to impact the rest of the world as well, because Europe is a pretty large economic block here. And when they make a regulation, uh, it's often something that everyone has to apply globally. And that's my big concern with Article 13. Uh, now, what Article 13 basically is, is requiring the ISPs and platforms to enforce copyright. There's no longer a safe harbor if this passes in Europe. And I'm going to talk about what a safe harbor means and contrast it to what the United States set up with the DMCA so you can understand exactly what's going on here. Now, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act passed here in 1996, and it's become pretty much the law of the land worldwide for how copyright is handled on the Internet. So let's dive into it and see exactly how it works. Uh, so the first important component of the DMCA is that it provides a safe harbor for platforms and ISPs, which means that uh, on the surface, YouTube and the ISP that I'm using to upload to YouTube 
are held harmless for my actions. I am responsible for uploading infringing content, and ultimately, I'm the one that has to be responsible for it. And that's probably the biggest part of the DMCA, is that it allowed these platforms to grow and be relatively shielded from legal action from rights holders, uh, because if this didn't exist, uh, we would have Article 13, which I'll talk about in a second. And this really is why YouTube and Facebook and all these other platforms exist, because they are held harmless for what their users do. And this is really the key to all of the DMCA. And the DMCA has a process that you follow uh, should you have an infringement on your platform. So if I am a rights holder, I can issue a takedown notice to YouTube, and then YouTube is obligated at that point to act on that uh, takedown notice. So if YouTube were to ignore my takedown notice, then they would be legally liable. But if they act on it and take the content down, uh, then they are still in that safe harbor and everybody moves on. But again, ultimately the disputes are between the rights holder and the violator. Provided the platform is complying with the law, they are not liable. I'm liable for my actions, but they are not. And again, I think that's a very important distinction here as we start looking at what goes on in Article 13. Now, I should mention also that the violators also have rights. So I could contest that DMCA takedown. YouTube could decide to put the video back up, and then it goes to court uh, for an ultimate decision. But again, uh, the platform, provided they're complying with the law, is out of this argument, and they are held harmless in a safe harbor. Now, Article 13 takes a very different approach, which says that platforms are liable and responsible for the content that, that their uh, users put up on their sites. And that is, again, the key distinction here between Article 13 and how things currently work on the Internet. It also mandates automated filtering to do that, because how else would YouTube or Facebook or some other huge platform be able to monitor what goes onto their site? You certainly can't hire enough people to do that, so you have to use some kind of technology to do so. Uh, we all know about Content ID here on YouTube. Now, if you don't know what Content ID is, it's YouTube's massive copyright database. It was created in response to lawsuits, namely a big one that they were under from Viacom, which is a major media conglomerate. Uh, they said, look, YouTube, you might have a safe harbor here, but you are negligent in allowing all this stuff to get uploaded in the first place. We're not being given the opportunity to issue these DMCA takedowns because you're allowing so much content up, we can't keep up with all of it. And as a result, YouTube created a database that allows rights holders like Viacom and even smaller content creators to put their video into this database, put their audio into this database, put their visual works into this database, and anytime somebody uploads a video that has any element that has been described as a copyrighted work, uh, YouTube will take that video and put it in front of the rights holder and give them some options to deal with it. Now, uh, this operates outside the DMCA. This is under YouTube's terms of service. So a rights holder can decide to block the video outright, they can monetize the video, in other words, take money from the creator that uploaded it and allow the video to remain, or they can do something called monitor, which means that it just shows up in your analytics and you can keep an eye on it and decide what to do about it later. Once something's identified, you can change your uh, decision as to what to do with that video at any time. So if you initially decided to monitor the video, you could later decide to monetize it if you wanted to. Uh, YouTube does have a means of appealing this, so if you feel like you've been uh, mis misidentified or something, you can file an appeal. That appeal doesn't go to YouTube, it goes to the 
original rights holder and they can decide whether or not to release the claim on the uploaded content. If they say, nope, we're not releasing it, then you go to the DMCA. They can issue a takedown, have that video removed, and if you want to dispute it, you can take them to court. That's the process. So the DMCA here really doesn't kick in until you've gone through all of the terms of service that uh, YouTube has on their platform, which protects them legally to some degree and gives rights holders some flexibility as to what to do with the content. The good news for, cop- for content makers is that if you're really not looking to monetize something but want to use a copyrighted song in your video, for example, YouTube's terms of service have provided a means in which your content can get out there with copyrighted material. Uh, somebody might take the money and uh, use it for their, <laughs> their own purposes or whatever if they own the rights to the song you're using, but nonetheless, Uh, you're not going to have a DMCA takedown happen to you all the time because of what YouTube put together here. However, and this is my big fear, uh, the system has not been perfect. And back in 2012, I was featured in an Ars Technica article because I did a live stream of the Mars rover uh, landing on the planet. And we had all this footage from NASA that we were using throughout the night. We were actually rebroadcasting the NASA stream. Now, NASA is a government entity here in the United States. It is public domain. So everything they put on their website, everything that's on their YouTube channel, you can use it all. It belongs to the public. So there's no copyright on it. But what happened, though, uh, was that some news organizations who had access to content ID uh, were just cataloging their news stories about the Mars rover landing on the planet. It was a big story. And the next actually the next couple of hours after the live stream was over with and we were just letting the recording run itself out as a regular YouTube video, uh, I had no less than five takedown claims because they also were using that content and it was getting mixed into the content ID database inappropriately, in my opinion. Uh, Thankfully, all of them released their claims on it, but some of them took a couple of days and one waited the entire 30 days, which means that for a news story here, all the value of that video was gone by the time all these rights holders finally released their claims on the video. Uh, YouTube has since allowed the money that's collected during this period of dispute to be basically sitting in escrow, so they will distribute the revenue out to whoever wins the dispute uh, at the end of the day. But nonetheless, this shows you what can happen if these platforms really have to get aggressive in content identification. Now, if Article 13 becomes the law of the land in the EU, I think a lot of bad things can potentially happen. Uh, The first is that here in the U.S., at least, there is a legal liability on a rights holder who abuses the DMCA. So if somebody makes a false uh, takedown claim against me and causes some kind of physical or monetary harm, I have the right in court to claim back some money from that individual or that company for violating my rights. That's part of the DMCA, it's part of the federal law. If we shift the emphasis here away from the DMCA and as the European Union wants to do, basically have these terms of service kind of dictate uh, how these disputes are carried out, I can guarantee you, uh, first of all, that the rights holders are never going to be held legally liable for uh, violating someone's right to speech, number one. Uh, but number two, we will never have the ability to claim damages back if somebody does abuse that power. And I think this is uh, one of the biggest issues that I've got with this. There's just no due process for Uh, the smaller creators here in asserting whatever fair use they might have, mainly because the content's going to get blocked before it even gets uploaded. Uh, That's a big problem. 
Uh, the other issue is that I think it actually has the reversed effect of what uh, the European Union has been trying to do to some of these major platforms. They don't want to strengthen Facebook and YouTube, but a law like this certainly will because it's going to be next to impossible to start your own video platform if you have to have one of these content identification systems in place first. It's just ridiculously difficult and ridiculously expensive to build one, and you certainly can't afford to hire enough people to monitor every piece of content that goes up. Uh, Amazon Video right now on their Prime platform uh, sometimes takes like two or three weeks now to review content before they let it on the platform right now because a human is looking at every single video. It's just not scalable. And I think if you were to try to create your own platform, you're going to have a hard time doing it. It also hurts smaller websites too. If you just wanted to put a website up and start talking about uh, news items that might involve somebody's news report or a snippet of it, uh, you could see yourself getting sued uh, for a lot of money from a rights holder or have your speech taken off the internet because somebody's picture was used in your commentary. Now, here in the U.S., you have some protections, but again, if the EU employs this, this might impact how all these platforms work worldwide because it's hard sometimes to separate uh, where their users are located when they're consuming this stuff. But of course, ultimately, what's behind all of this is corporate interest and the gatekeepers' attempt to regain control of media once again. Don't forget that Facebook and YouTube and Google and all these other platforms have uh, really been taking audience away from traditional media, and with that audience goes the revenue, and big media companies see this as a threat. So they're going to be working the levers of government as best they can to make things more difficult. We had SOPA and PIPA here in the U.S. that thankfully failed, uh, but it looks like they're making some progress in Europe by trying to get everybody terrified of all of these internet platforms again. And if you can limit how this stuff gets uploaded to the uh, internet, perhaps the gatekeepers can once again decide what we all want to watch and consume. And I don't think that is good for uh, progressing forward here. And certainly uh, the way these platforms have developed is that it's given people like me the opportunity to earn a living expressing ourselves. It's not hard to get started. I think more people now than ever before in the history of the world are able to uh, earn a living doing what I'm doing. And I think that is a wonderful thing. And to go back to a time where uh, a few people pick and choose who gets to get up in front of the camera uh, is not going to be good for anybody moving forward. And it's certainly no secret that the record industry is very much behind Article 13 because they see it as a means of, again, getting control back over what they feel they are losing. And they can't do it through the market, so they're going to do it through the government. And that is what's happening here in Europe right now, and it will impact everybody. Uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation has a great article here where you can learn more about what this uh, law might do and how you might be able to fight it. If you are living within the European Union, please let your elected officials know about this and how you feel and uh, maybe let them know that when it comes time to vote for them again, that's going to be the primary decision point you're going to make in choosing who represents you. Uh, we still have some democracy going on in this world, and you have the opportunity to exercise that uh, through your vote. I certainly keep my elected officials updated as to how I feel about this stuff, and it's important for you to do the same as well. Definitely check out that article. You'll get a much better idea as to exactly what's going on in Europe, but this thing is moving, and I'm really concerned about it. And now it's time for some things in the news that caught my eye, and the first item was Apple's big announcement from their Brooklyn, New York City event they held last week. And unfortunately, I never got an invitation for it, but I don't think I was going to get one. Uh, but they did announce some stuff that I watched from the comfort of home. Uh, the first item was their new MacBook Air. This is a refresh of a very popular uh, mid-tier portion of their computer line, although it's kind of hard to find a place for this product given that the MacBook Pro 13 
uh, weighs about the same and performs probably about the same. So I'm not sure where this one kind of falls into place. Uh, it's gotten some good reviews initially, so it's probably uh, going to be a decent little computer. But I think if you're in the market for a new machine and looking to buy a Mac, uh, look at the MacBook Pro 13 first and then maybe take a look at the Air. Uh, but it does look like a pretty attractive computer. I didn't order one of those. But what I did order uh, was a new Mac Mini uh, because we needed to update Corey's editing workstation over across the room. He's got my six and a half, seven year old uh, MacBook Pro, the uh, Retina version. And that one's been a great computer. It's been working fine for 1080p editing, but we're shooting more and more B-roll footage on 4K. Anytime I do something in a different part of the house, we're shooting at 4K just because it provides more flexibility. And 4K video is killing his computer. It just can't transcode it. It lacks the uh, acceleration to do so. So the new Mac Mini here should be a nice upgrade. I went with the uh, six-core i7 version. I only got eight gigs of RAM on it. I'm going to upgrade the RAM myself. That might be a fun little thing to do as a video. And I also got the 10 gigabit Ethernet uh, built into it also, just in anticipation of at some point having the ability to run 10 gig Ethernet in the house here. Uh, It has four Thunderbolt 3 ports and two full-size USB ports here on the back, and we'll be getting hours in on Thursday. So we'll have an unboxing, we'll take it apart, and then we'll do a full review of it a little later in the week. So I'm looking forward to that. Another thing that I ordered, and by the way, here's the inside of it where you can upgrade the RAM. Uh, another thing that I ordered is the new iPad Pro. I got the, uh, the, 10, or the 11, I guess is what it is now, uh, and it looks really cool. And they finally found a place for the pen to go, uh, so I figured I would order one of those. I do use my iPad quite a bit, not as a content creation device, but as a content consumption device, and I just felt like this might be a fun thing to review. Uh, so I'll be selling my old one and uh, grabbing the new one here. So look for that a little bit later in the week as well. Uh, what they've done now is gotten rid of the top and bottom bezels. They've gotten rid of the side bezels a few years ago. Uh, now they've just gotten rid of everything. And the new 12-inch one actually is a lot smaller physically with the same size screen as a result of those bezels getting shrunken down. So we'll see how it all works on a couple of videos we'll have later on this week. And now it's time for a Q&A from you, the viewers. And our first question comes in from Elias Saba, who happens to run AFTVnews.com, a friend of the channel. And he wanted me to point out some things on the remote that I missed in my review, which I'm definitely going to do because I didn't even know about these things when I was evaluating the product. Uh, so they've come up with a new remote here that has volume control and the power button, which we talked about Uh, in the video. But if you look on the front here, it now has some infrared capabilities as well. So typically, uh, the voice remote on the Fire TV products was uh, just using Bluetooth to communicate back with the device because it usually sits behind your television. Uh, But it does have the ability now to control your TV volume and the power uh, with infrared. Uh, So that's a big change from prior remotes. And the other thing that you can do with it now is also uh, pick up some sort of universal remote functionality with it as well. Uh, So you can even program the device to switch to other devices if you want just by issuing a voice command. Let me show you how to set that up real quick. So let's drop into the settings screen on my Fire TV and go over to Equipment Control. And in there, you will see the option to manage your equipment. Now, what you can do here is add in a bunch of other things that you probably didn't know you could. Uh, So, for example, if I wanted to maybe add my Xbox to the mix, I can click on Xbox here. And what I can do is tell it what input the Xbox is sitting on. Uh, So it defaults initially to what my TV inputs are. My television has four HDMI inputs, and you can select one of those for it to tune to. Uh, But in my case, I've got my Xbox connected to my home theater receiver, And because when I set up the Fire TV initially, it was able to catalog 
uh, the HDMI ports available on that, I can choose any one of the available HDMI ports on my receiver for it to switch to. So if I select AV3 here, and then go back to the remote and say, switch to the Xbox, what will happen here is the remote will actually execute that switch. It'll tune my receiver to the proper AV input, and I think it actually turns the Xbox on as well. So you get a very fast way to jump between devices uh, on your home theater receiver or on your television or both, depending on what's on. You can also turn the AV receiver on and off using the remote. And what happens here is based on what your request is, it will send out the proper infrared signals when necessary to activate that equipment. It doesn't work, though, as a CEC remote. So when I got over to my NVIDIA Shield, for example, I was able to switch to it, but I couldn't actually control the Shield uh, with the remote here. But it does seem like it's got some potential to do more in the future because it looks like they're able to dynamically program the remote to uh, send infrared signals out at, at, as needed, basically. It also works with cable boxes. Uh, so if you wanted to tune to ESPN, for example, you could just ask it through the remote here with the microphone button. It'll switch over to that proper input and actually tune the right channel for you uh, without even using what uh, Amazon is coming out with soon for uh, live television. So cool stuff on this remote. You can buy the remote separately. It costs about $30, so it might just make sense to buy the stick too, I guess. But uh, it'll work with the uh, prior generation TV stick. So the most recent 1080p stick it will work with. It also works with the Fire TV 3. That's the pendant style device that hangs off the back of the TV. Uh, we looked at that one last year. It also works with the Fire TV Cube. So only those three devices uh, plus the 4K device works with this remote, but you can buy it separately. Uh, do, though, check out their uh, compatibility list on their site when you are looking to buy the remote or the stick just to make sure you know it'll work with it. They have a pretty good list there of what does and does not work with it at the moment, and I do think there's a lot of potential here, too, given that the remote is addressable from the box itself. Now, this next question comes in from Dom in regards to my use of the YouTube premieres feature for my weekly wrap-up videos. And I wanted to talk a little bit about premieres and get some more feedback from all of you. I know a lot of folks wrote in who were really upset about it, but my data is not showing me that it's impacting me negatively. In fact, it's impacting me quite the opposite. And I wanted to give you some uh, thoughts about premieres and where I think it works well on this channel and what I plan to do with it moving forward. And I'll certainly consider some other stuff as well. But let's take a look at what Dom wrote because what he wrote in really encapsulates what uh, a bunch of other people were saying in different comments. So the first problem is that he's getting notification things for things that he can't watch. Uh, so what happens is that when I schedule the premiere, I think it pushes out a notification to tell you that I scheduled the premiere and this video is going to go up at a certain time. Uh, then when the video posts, you get a second notification. And the challenge that I have with this video, the wrap-up video, is that we usually shoot it Monday morning, we edit in the early afternoon, and then it's usually uploaded or in the process of uploading uh, by the late afternoon, and then it's airing a couple hours later in the evening. So it's possible that you get a notification around 5 or so, and then another notification at 7 when it actually goes up. Now that notification behavior is, uh, I think, the same as how a live stream works. So if I were to schedule a live stream for 5 o'clock today, uh, when I schedule it, you get pushed a notification, and then a second uh, notification gets pushed out when I go live. So I don't think it's operating any differently uh, than the live streams do. Uh, but I can see if you're not accustomed to channels that have a lot of live streaming, for example, the multiple notifications are aggravating. And if you're used to clicking on a notification and actually going to a video, uh, this is definitely not how you're going to experience the YouTube premieres feature. You're going to get 
brought to the page where the video will be, uh, but it won't be there until the time that it premieres. Now, another thing that Dom brings up in his video is something that uh, is a concern of mine as well, which is that if he misses the first half of the video, he then has to wait until the entire thing streams out before he can watch the beginning. And I went in during one of my premieres to look at that, and sure enough, I could not rewind. Now, I posted up on the YouTube uh, Creator Insider channel when they were talking about premieres that this was a problem for me. Uh, they thought that you could rewind the video, but at least in my experience, I don't recall being able to do that. So hopefully they address that so that if you do come in later and want to catch the beginning, uh, you can still do that and not uh, have to wait until the whole thing goes up. And again, I can definitely see where this is a concern because if you get the notification and you're used to tapping on the notification immediately to go to the video, you pop in and we're you know, almost done and you have to wait another five or 10 minutes until you can actually watch the video, I could see that being a problem. And I'm gonna take a look again tonight and just see if it's possible to rewind. They thought it could on the Creator Hub channel, but I don't think so. So hopefully that's something maybe YouTube addresses with it. Um, he's also annoyed because my videos do come out late for him where he is in the world. And he also pointed me to um, the Strange Parts uh, channel, which had a video backfire on him. And you can check out his uh, video link there on screen to get the full scoop on it. But what happened here is he spent a lot of time and money putting that video together. And I think the use of premieres actually hurt him in that case uh, versus helping him. He had a very good initial experience with the viewership in the chat room, but after that, uh, things didn't go as well, and he saw the video did not perform as well as some of his other ones did, primarily because I think he got a lot of downvotes uh, just because he decided to use premieres to release it. I saw a few also before the video even posted up, and I think it'd be probably better if YouTube would just restrict any kind of rating on the video until it actually gets posted, because I know a lot of people just don't like premieres and never will, uh, and are just downvoting stuff automatically. And I certainly understand and, and are listening to some of the concerns people had, but when I look at my data, as I always do when I try something new, I'm seeing a very different story. Now, this uh, little uh, tab here is on the new Creator Hub or Studio Hub on YouTube when you log in, and it gives you an idea as to how well your last uploaded video is doing against your other ones. Uh, I think this was done maybe a few hours after uh, the video was posted. And you can see here on views, it's not doing the best, primarily because my wrap-up videos never do well on views. I think the most that I usually get is about 5,000, give or take, on a wrap-up video. Average is about 3,000 to 3,500 or so. Maybe 3,700, I think, is the average for me. So um, generally, you know, it was performing view-wise as most of my wrap-up videos do. But look at the watch time and the view duration up significantly uh, versus my other content. And I think that is a big deal here, and that was something that I noticed right away, especially in the early hours of the video. Uh, we just got more retention of the wrap-up video, because these do tend to be long, and I think the fact that people were in the chat room uh, with each other and with me talking about the topics that we were covering on the show, uh, it was a lot of fun for me, first of all, just to have another way to connect to viewers, but I think it also had some value to viewers. We had uh, well over 100 people that watched the whole thing with me, and I think that is more than I usually get uh, as far as duration goes when a video gets uploaded. And that looked to me like it was really something that I think the wrap-up has benefited from. Uh, now, a week out, that video is doing about the same as my others have done from a view perspective. So I don't think I really lost any viewership there. Uh, and it looks like the retention again and the watch time uh, was certainly up on this. Some of my wrap-ups have had more watch time than others, but sometimes the topics are just more interesting from one week to the next. So I don't want to stop doing this just yet. Uh, but I do want to let you know that this is a scheduled thing, that it's not going to be some arbitrary time that the video gets uploaded. So Monday nights here in the U.S., Eastern Time at 7 p.m., 
Uh, whether I do a premiere or not, that is when the video gets uploaded. That's been the time I've been uploading the wrap-up video uh, just about every week since I started doing this full-time because I, it's my Monday activity. I do the wrap-up, nothing else. If I can get the wrap-up done early, then I move on to something else. But uh, I want to make sure this video is up by 7 p.m. Monday nights. And if we do a premiere, that's the time we'll have the premiere running. If we don't do a premiere, it'll just be up as a regular on-demand video. So again, the wrap-up every Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern USA time is when you'll find it. So if you do want to set a little notification to remind yourself when to jump into the chat room when we do a premiere, uh, please do. And if you are signed up for notifications, that notification will alert you to this time every time. Now, my Q&A for you this week, of course, is on premieres, what you think of it. I've heard about a 50-50 mix of feedback from people who have provided it. Uh, people that were really into the chat really liked it. Uh, other folks really did not like the notifications getting pushed out. But really, from the direct feedback I've had, it's running about 50-50, yay and nay. Uh, so that's a close call there. And I really just want to let this go out another couple of times here just to see if there is any measurable impact, negative or positive, over a longer span of time. So I want to get at least four of these done just to see if there was any big difference here between doing a premiere versus not doing a premiere insofar as watch time and retention is concerned. I'm going to take a look at the data and then make a follow-up decision from that. But again, I really enjoy the experience of chatting with viewers in this way. Uh, it's something that it's nice to have this shared experience for a community, and I think that's one of the things that I really like about it, uh, just because I don't often have enough time to do a proper live stream on a regular basis, and I really want to have that connection. So that's why I did it, but I'd love to hear from you all about uh, whether I should keep doing it down in the comments below. Our channel of the week this week is a fun one. I, I thought I had talked about this one in the past, but I don't believe I have. Uh, it is the 11-foot-8 bridge. And this is a bridge, I believe, in North Carolina that is 11 feet, 8 inches high. And it tends to eat a lot of trucks that think they can drive under it. And over the years, they have been putting up additional signage and all this stuff to warn people about the bridge uh, eating trucks. And for some reason, they keep doing it. In fact, the light even turns red now if the truck is too big and they still keep driving. And uh, what they do is upload a video every time somebody smashes into the bridge. And it happens uh, way more than you might think it would. Uh, so set your notifications on this one. Sometimes you might go a month or two without one, but then the bridge always delivers. So check out the 11-foot-8 bridge. So this week on the channel, I got a couple of things that I know you've been looking forward to. The first is the Mi Box S. I got it in on Friday and haven't had a chance to fully evaluate it yet, but that is next on my agenda for today. Uh, so we'll have a review up hopefully tomorrow or Wednesday on this one, most likely Wednesday. Uh, this is a very affordable Android TV box that you can get at Walmart. It costs $10 less than last year's Mi Box cost. Uh, and it is basically the same device inside, but I think they've improved the Wi-Fi on it. And you have some voice search capabilities that I don't believe was on the original one. So we'll be looking at that one very shortly. Uh, we're also going to take a look at the Yoga 9, uh, C930 from Lenovo. Uh, this is kind of a mid-range MacBook Air uh, kind of device that Lenovo put out that's got a pen built into the back of it, an active stylus. Pretty cool stuff. We'll be looking at how that machine performs a little later in the week as well. And then, of course, on Thursday, uh, I get my new toys in. I'll probably start with the Mac Mini and then uh, move on to the iPad from there. So it's going to be a busy week with all of this stuff for you. Hopefully, I'll get to all of it. I may not leave the house for a while, but I am looking forward to all these things coming in. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel. We accept Patreon and a bunch of other uh, services as well. So whatever works well for you will probably work for us too. 
Uh, we also have an ongoing relationship with Plex, where if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, we get a small commission. We get larger commissions if you go for the Plex Pass or gift it to somebody else. We're on other channels too. We've got the Extras channel where I unbox stuff. In fact, you'll see that me box getting unboxed on that channel probably before this video even gets posted. We have my podcast at lon.tv slash podcast, which is an audio version of the show you're watching right now. We also have my snippets channel at lon.tv slash snippets, where we take portions of this show and upload them in a more search-friendly format. Uh, that one is getting close to the monetization level after three years, so I'm looking forward to that happening. Uh, and then we also have my live stream archive at lon.tv slash live streams. I got a couple of ideas for live streams I want to do in the future, and hopefully the schedule will get a little better soon and I can do a few of those. So stay tuned for that. We'll have some fun on those. If you want to get notified whenever I do anything, including setting that premiere, uh, click on the bell and you'll get pushed a notification every time something happens here on the channel. Uh, we also, of course, have other ways you can engage with us. The email list is at lon.tv email. I sent out my first email in three months today, so it's very infrequent. Uh, but I did want to get the word out about the premiere thing, why I'm using it, and the time that we're regularly posting up the wrap-up. So if you got that email already, you probably just heard a repeat of what I emailed out, but I wanted to get it out on multiple platforms. Uh, we have the Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook, where we also post videos now. Uh, we have the Facebook group, which consists of, I think, of over 500 now viewers of the channel who are all uh, communicating with me and themselves there. It's really cool. And check it out if you're on Facebook. And then we have the store where I sell things that I've previously reviewed here on the channel and I'm now getting rid of. And you can sign up for a separate alert for the store. Those are a lot more frequent every time I change the inventory around. I did add the uh, Amazon Fire HD 8 to the store about two or three weeks ago. And I'm not sure if, if it's not selling or if people are having problems ordering. So if you did try to order it, email me and let me know if it didn't let, let you do it because it just seems odd that that device didn't sell. Usually those sell a bit quicker at the price that it's at. But again, sign up for the alert and anytime I add something else, you will be notified. And that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. It is off to the editing bay now. The last time this show will be edited on that old laptop. Please keep those questions and comments coming and we'll be keeping our uh, ears open for all of your ideas and comments as uh, the week progresses here. And as always, I want to thank you all for your support of the channel. It means a lot. And as tough as it might get with the EU clamping down on speech, hopefully we can keep speaking to each other as freely as we do now. Until next time, this is Lon Seibin. Don't forget to vote, and we'll see you next week. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters Chris Allegretta, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht. Too Much Sauce. Gerard Newberg. And Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv slash support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.